Well, welcome into Navigating Change with Shane and Mike, of course, right next to me, co-host friend, Shane Bishop. My name is Mike Wooten, and do we have an incredible show for you today. We have our guest, Carolyn Moore. We'll tell you more about her in just a moment. But first, Shane, how are you today? Mike, you've never introduced me as a friend before, so it bears the question, am I your best friend? Am I the best friend you've ever had, or would I be more, you know, just kind of one among many? You know, like a print. So if I, you're you're one of my best friends. <laughs> <laughs> I like this. I like this. Yeah. So yeah. that could be a group of two or five or who knows? Or, or 500. You, or, you know, every it, friend it, I have on Facebook. It, it could be that you're, so you would say that I'm one of your best friends. You are one of my best friends, without a doubt. And uh, But I also want you to know in that I count some foods as best friends <laughs> at night when I'm like ready to kind of unwind. Yeah, I want to have yeah. some Oreos. I just look at that Oreo. I open it up and I say, you're my best oh, friend. Oh, man. So that is good You're falling stuff. behind Oreos. I like that, though. I'm, I'm comfortable with if that. If you could come over every night and just give me an encouraging word, you can move up the yeah, ranking. That's not going to happen. I so know. whatever it is we're going to do, it can't, it can't really involve that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so... so you know, I guess I'm willing to be one of your best friends as yeah. long as it requires no effort from me. Well, I feel like I'm not surprised by that. Thing, <laughs> I'll tell you that. You know who also isn't going up in my best friend chart? Who's that? My dog. Uh, well, you got a you got a puppy, dude. I got a puppy. We get rescue dogs. They're like three quarters dead when you get them. It's like adopting a child that's 88 years old. That's what we do. Now, you on the other hand went and got a puppy. They're cute, but Mike, they grow to be dogs much later. Yeah, this this dog loves my daughters. Important, right? Got young kids, loves my wife. I come home. I was gone for four days uh, in Honduras. I come home last night. I hear barking. He runs up to me, smells me, and goes and lays back down. I like it. So that's where uh, I'm He didn't growl at you? No, he didn't. Okay, so He's... I would say that to your dog that you're completely uninteresting. Uninteresting, not a threat. Yeah, which is a role you fill with a whole lot of people, I right? Feel like Just completely uninteresting, not a threat. Like, I like it. It feels a little bit like our relationship. <laughs> 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 uninteresting, not a threat. Uh, well, you know, there's always that. So you've got this dog, and they say dog is man's best friend, but it feels like the dog is actually Valerie's best friend. Oh, yeah, a woman and child's best friend, not a man's best friend right now. So I got some strategies. I, here's what I was thinking today. I think I'm going to have to play with this dog a little bit more because I have a little bit of a fear. I have a fear that something's going to happen to this dog and there's going to be a huge vet bill. Mm. And it's going to require, you know how when that happens with dogs, right, right, you right. kind of be like, oh gosh. Is okay. that dog really worth this? Is, yeah. To and me? of course it will be for my kids and my wife. But, but I'm they're, gonna be, yeah, right. I'm going to be like, uh, I don't know how much. Yeah. So um, I need to just, uh, I need to form a relationship with this dog. I need it to move up in the power rankings. I, I understand that. Yes. And the other thing is with your young daughters, you could help them just kind of understand the comparative value of money as it has to do with your dog. So for example, let's say your dog is, is ill. You could say, well, girls, uh, it's going to cost $1,400 to make our dog better. So would you like our dog to be better or would you like to have an allowance continue through the rest of your life? Because that's really sort of how it balances out in some ways, right? I wish I could just throw that thought to the side and tell tell you that, no, I would never do that, but you just gave me something to think well, about. Well, that's it. <laughs> you know, I think when it comes to, to good parenting, uh, You're I'm the guy. I'm, to go I'm to. the guy. 
I'm the guy. It's because my kids are completely grown. They turned out well, and I'm, I'm good. So well, now I feel like I could be a, a repository of, of good advice. What you just said is true, but I think if people go back to a previous episode or two with Miss Melissa Bishop, she may say some other things about your parenting when they were growing up. Let's just say Melissa uh, is one of the greatest parents that anybody could ever have, and I had the good sense to marry her. <laughs> So I feel like I have that going for me personally, Mike. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we've got a friend of mine that is uh, going to be a part of the show today. Can you tell us a little bit about Carolyn Moore? Yeah, we have an exciting interview with Dr. Carolyn Moore. Dr. Moore felt a call to lead as a woman early in life, but she did not have the support she needed to develop in that call. But her story is one that I see it as someone who didn't have a place to belong, who surrendered her life to Christ, found that place to belong, and now has created community for other people to belong as well. We're going to hear about her passion and ministry. And one of the big things she's doing right now is helping to lead women across the country in their leadership journey. She's written a new book, in fact, called When Women Lead by Carolyn Moore. We'd like to welcome Carolyn Moore. Carolyn you and I met a few years back. Uh, I believe mm -hmm. the, the first time I kind of got to know you, I think we were on the same speaking card. Uh, yep. Talk, talk to uh, our audience about how we kind of uh, got familiar with each other. Well, I, I specifically remember that, uh, that time when I think we, we'd been in the room together before, but I, you and I both spoke. And when I uh, finished speaking, you said, oh, wait, you're, you're a Jesus person. Or I don't remember how you said it. You're Jesus person. You're charismatic or you're one of those. That's probably what you said. Oh, you're one of those. Yeah. You're a flaming charismatic. <laughs> <laughs> it's like we, we, you know, two, when there's two of you in the room and there's uh, Jesus is in the midst. And uh, so that's how we first met. I remember us just being aware that we are uh, both, um, uh, deeply, deeply grateful for the presence of the Holy Spirit and um, and for all that He brings to the all that He brings to the faith. One of the things that I I think I we were on uh, the uh, Wesleyan Covenant Association Global Council right, uh, right for a while, but I remember being on that speaking card and and hearing you uh, preach. I just. There, there was just kind of an intangible piece to it that I could only describe as, as just the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm. And it brought something for me that was very, very fresh, very much needed. I always mm. say people preach out of different slots. Some people preach out of uh, language and linguistics. Some people preach mm. out of systematic theolo theology. Some people preach out of a historical understanding. It just seemed you were a person just committed to preaching out of the power of the Holy Spirit mm. and just seeing what the Holy Spirit wanted to do. And I know that just blew me away in that context because I hate to say it, but I really wasn't used to getting much of that in Methodist circles. Mm. Wow. Well, that's quite humbling. <laughs> and, and, and often I've thought it's kind of painful to think if I am 
if I'm anybody's example of what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit, then we're all in trouble. Um, because, because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it's not as if I'm not trying, but I, I am so, so very aware of how far I am from being entirely sanctified. <laughs> I completely get it. And yet I do believe, Carolyn, that, uh, that you, God has used you to bring some fresh wind and, and some mm. fresh fire to places that, that very much needed fresh wind and fresh fire. And I completely relate to the fact we're not entirely sanctified. <laughs> I remember a few years ago, back when we did candles before church, you remember when you used to light candles, Mike, yeah. and they'd do all that. Uh, yeah. The the acolyte, I think that's what oh, you call yeah, it, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Mike is over there shaking his head going, yeah, no yeah. idea what I'm nope. talking about. No, <laughs> so the acolyte was walking up front right before church and their flame went out, their holy flame, bam, yeah. just uh-huh. went out before they lit the candles. And I looked up and I said, is there anybody here who's maybe not entirely sanctified and might have a cigarette lighter with them? And, and several people pulled them out and we were, we were saved by the not entirely sanctified on that yeah. <laughs> Carolyn, tell us a little yeah. bit about your faith journey, because that was one of the things that really impressed me about you. You just didn't come up like so many other United Methodist clergy people came up. Yeah. Tell us how you met Jesus. Yeah, well, um, I, I actually, I have to say, I'm more Methodist than I, even I realized. Um, <laughs> I mean, I was born and raised in the United Methodist Church, but um, my great, great grandfather was a United Methodist Bishop or not a United Methodist, a Methodist Bishop. Okay. And I didn't even, I didn't even know that until the day I was, uh, till the day I was ordained. He's wow. in my life. He's in my lineage of ordination. And so that was a pretty powerful thing to discover. Wow. It's like I, I, when I got ordained, everybody else, you know, in those ordination lines, when you're waiting oh, yeah. to file down and everybody's got their, their grandfather, who's been you know, their amazing youth pastor, or whoever it is who's going to put the stole on them. And I didn't, I had, I had the, the senior pastor of my church who, you know, was like a great guy, but nobody, no history there because right. I didn't know anybody. And I was listening to everybody tell their stories about how, you know, this mentor has been with me forever and all these great, you know, deep rooted stories. And I didn't have anything. And then I get ordained and they hand and in, in, in my conference on your way across the stage, they hand you your lineage of ordination. And there it was, Bishop William Capers, several up from me. I have to tell this whole story now that I'm in it. Um, and I, I wanted to turn around to the whole room full of people and say, I belong here. Oh, I love it. Uh, I want to um, this is the even cooler thing. So my I think it's great, great, great grandfather. He was the he was the bishop, Bishop William Capers. He um, ordained a, a Bishop McTeer, who is the great 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 uncle of my associate pastor. Good heavens! What are the chances of that? <laughs> what are the chances? Yeah. So, so I, I'm more Methodist than I even realized. I was um, raised in a, a really more. Um, I mean, even though we were United Methodists, we were just, we were kind of just mainline Christian type people, you know, we say a blessing before meals and, and uh, go to church some Sundays, but nobody was, nobody was burning Holy Spirit fires in my home. And, uh, and when I was 11 years old, I went to a youth group. I got saved sometime soon after that. I, I was there by mistake, actually. That's a whole nother story. And then when I was 13 years old, I was, um, you remember back in the day when you used to have Sunday night service? Oh, yeah. And 
And uh, at Sunday night service, every once in a while, they would let the youth do it. And this, so this was a Sunday night youth service and they'd given me a devotional slot. So I was reading the little devotional. I still have the pieces of paper that I read from. And while I was standing up there, I heard the voice of God. It was, it was one of those very mystical moments. And he said, this is where you belong. Wow. So in Augusta, Georgia, <clears throat> long, like 45 years ago, 47 years ago, uh, 46 years ago, um, there were no such things as women pastors. There's just, that just was not even in, in anybody's imagination. Um, I asked people later if they'd heard the voice, nobody else heard it, but me. So I assumed it was for me and I didn't know enough about the Bible to know it was a problem, right. <laughs> um, but was quickly steered away from that ended up in Christian education, which was a horrible idea. I'm, I'm a disaster in a room full of children. <laughs> and, uh, and the worst, the worst of it really was, it just wasn't my call, yeah. you know? So, yeah. so I, I had 10 very hard years from, uh, 17 to about, well, more like 12 hard years, 17 to about 29 when I just was, I was nowhere near God. I was kind of just, I just blew my life up. And then, uh, had another mystical moment with the Lord. And like, he had just been drumming his fingers, waiting for me to say yes to that call of a 13 year old girl. And once I took it, that was it. I took the call and, and kept going. Wow. Wow. So tell me about now, what's the journey from there to mosaic? Because you're, that's your Mm -hmm. church mosaic. Can you take us to Mm -hmm. there and tell us about mosaic? Well, when I went to seminary, I went to Asbury Theological Seminary. Really wasn't my first choice. Candler was my first choice, but Candler never sent me an application. I asked three times and Candler never sent me an application. <laughs> I got one from Candler. I went to Candler. I wish you would have gotten my application and maybe I would have ended up at Asbury. I don't know, Carol. <laughs> no. So I, I ended up at Asbury just kind of out of, it was like, I mean, you drive down, if you drive to Wilmore, Kentucky, you know, I had a rental car. I thought Jesus himself is going to have to open the door for me to stay in this little tiny town. That was Uh not going to happen. Did you go down the devil road? 33, (laughs) 33 is the devil road. Whenever me and my wife moved to Wilmore, all those turns, all those curves, Uh, we were in a U-Haul truck and gosh, we didn't know we're from central Illinois, where it's flat everywhere, grid-like uh, roads. When we went down that road, we didn't know if we'd find our way back after that. I know. I know it, that they, there are very few codes related to roads in, in, uh, <laughs> in Kentucky. And um, the one thing that you are absolutely assured of, of any road in Kentucky is there will be a dead skunk somewhere on that road before <laughs> you I like get it. Off of it. It's good that there are constants in the universe. That's right. So anyway, I went to, I went to Asbury and somewhere in the, in the time of Asbury, I, I just became pretty obsessed with what it means to um, what was, what God meant when he gave us the church, when Jesus was ascended and he handed the church to the people was this, what we have now is this, what he meant. And I just became obsessed by that question. I ended up calling all over the country, asking people, where have you seen the true church at work? I, I got connected with a church, a little church called the Church of the Savior in Washington, D.C., a missional community before missional communities were cool, that, that actually was a, a predecessor to, to the small group movement. Uh, Bill Hybels knows about Church of the Savior. Rick Warren knows about Church of the Savior. Um, uh uh, the North Point guy whose name I can't think of. All Andy of a Stanley. Andy Stanley. He knows about Church of the Savior. They all studied this guy, um, Gordon Cosby, 
who ne- whose church never got more than about 150 people big, but he had they, everything was the small groups for him. And so I started studying the Church of the Savior, and I just felt very strongly the Lord saying to me that uh, you know, the Church of the Savior doesn't need another member, but the United Methodist Church needs a Church of the Savior. Wow. And so I became very interested in that whole, whole idea of missional community. And when we were when we were given the opportunity to plant, that's what I was after was a, truly a missional community. And um, the United Methodist Church didn't really understand that concept back in, when I planted. How 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 long ago did you plant, Shane? I didn't plant this church. Oh, you didn't plant this church. I okay. was appointed here. It was a small congregation ran about 200 i came in 1997 okay so in in 2003 when i came here to plant everything was big box rapid rapid growth that was the model it was it would do a parachute drop you just drop into a community you nobody else and, and then big box rapid growth was the model um but uh that was just that's not the model for women <laughs> It's not, it's not the operational model. Nobody, just nobody knew that. Nobody knew that uh, women, female pastor churches don't do the big box rapid growth thing. And it certainly didn't happen in the, in the Bible belt. So um, a United Methodist church in general, just not going to do that in the Bible belt. So, uh, so it's taken a, a long time for us to really understand ourselves as a missional community, to really have the community understand us as a missional community. And, um, and to begin to to flourish in this model, but um, but but we we know who we are, and uh, and it's been a real real grace, especially in the last say five or six years, to begin to really feel our feet as a missional community in this in this town. Carolyn, when when you talk about a missional community, I, I think about uh, our mutual friend George Acevedo. You know, mm-hmm. I remember when George got this real calling saying, I, I want to reach the people that nobody's trying to reach. Right. I want to. And when you say missional community, what, what that always strikes me is we're going after people that other churches might not even see. Is that somewhat true with Mosaic? That's that's definitely true of Mosaic. And that's one part of being missional. But m- missional begins with felt need. That's where it begins. And and it's and and the the missional concept, at least as as we have designed it at Mosaic, is very much a, a seven day a week church. And everybody says, oh, that's what we want to have. We want to have a seven day a week church. But no, we're talking about we right now we have we have applied behavioral analysis happening. Just I can see down the hall at the, you know the, the kids are right down the hall. Um, kids with special needs getting applied behavioral analysis five days a week. We have uh, we have. Um, uh, Twice a month, we do um, special social events for young adults on the spectrum. Uh, we have respite night for families of kids with special needs. We do GED in two different locations, free GED tutoring for people who don't fit the normal GED models. You know, you need more longer time. Um, we have uh, a, a staff member who is actually stationed in a community room at a low and no income apartment complex. I mean, that's her full-time job wow. is in that community room at that low and no income apartment complex. We do a thing for a mentoring thing for women coming out of incarceration and we do recovery for, for addicts, for codependents, and also for people with, uh, who, who have spiritual trauma, people whose, whose experience of the church has made them 
very wary of the church. And so when, when we talk missional community, we really, we really come at all of our work from the sense of, of, of meeting the felt needs of people and then discipling them mm-hmm. in those groups. Um, so our Sunday morning experience is, is great and it's important, it's, but it is, it is not where the bulk of our time is spent. Yeah, you're not measuring your success by how many people attend a big box service on a Sunday morning. Right. So, Carolyn, what what is it that I always talk about? You know, in ministry, we we have to pay the rent, which is do the things that we're expected to do, and then mm-hmm. there's other things that turn our crank. That just mm-hmm. they're they're where we get passion in, in ministry. What turns your crank in ministry? What is it? that happens or that you're involved in and you say, yes, this is why God called me or God created me. Mm -hmm. It's every time for me. I mean, recovery is kind of my thing. So when somebody shows up at Mosaic and says, I'm an active meth user, it's like, welcome home. (laughs) I I don't want to be too excited about your addiction, but you're who I'm here for. I love it. (laughs) Yeah. and, and, uh, And we're a place where you can walk in you know, this is what we, what one of our things is we hang on to people long past good sense. So you can walk into our community. If you're um, kind of the typical thing is if you're an addict or the family member of an addict or you've, or, um, or you're divorced, recently divorced, and you've got kids who are at risk or um, uh, you just don't fit the normal parameters of, of suburban or, or city life We're we're your church. And um, when you walk in and you haven't been in church in a long, long time and you're ready to lay something down or you're not ready to lay something down, you're my person. And I get really excited about that. And because of that, I mean, we've seen one of just about every possible kind of person, stuff that most churches would not just wouldn't. And this isn't I don't want to thought church comparing. It's just that we're a place you can sit and stay if you've got really significant issues on your plate and we'll figure out a way to make it work for you. So Carolyn, what's an ultimate win? I know you want to see the lost broken is what I'm going to, excuse me, the broken that are in lost. You (laughs) want to see them healed and found. Uh, But also, are you trying to send them out? Are you trying to get them healed up, discipled and send them out? What's a win for Mosaic? Well, really for us, a win is the disciple. And I, we don't, you know, we're not trying better volunteers. We're really trying to make better disciples. We figure mm-hmm. Jesus will, Jesus will ignite your fire and show you where you need to serve. Uh, mm-hmm. But we're not trying to make people serve as soon as they walk in the door. We're trying to get you to read your Bible, to do it, to have, to, to use the means of grace to mm-hmm. come home to Jesus. So yes. I want you to know Jesus better mm-hmm. every day that you're with us. I want you to know Jesus better. Yeah. Carolyn, I know that, uh, you know, with all of the, just the implosion of the American mainline, the United Methodist Church kind of being the last of those mainline churches to Mm -hmm. sort of go through what the other ones have. You've been very much at the forefront of a lot of that with WCA, now the Global Methodist Church. What are your hopes for the future? Do you do you have bright hopes for the future of of I guess what I'm just going to call the Methodist movement uh, yeah. in the world? Yeah, yeah. My 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 short term hope is that it will be over I hear <laughs> sooner you. than later. 
Yeah, that's my short-term hope. I, I, I think we have all suffered enough and we have all beaten each other up enough. It's time for this to be over. Um, so I, I, am, I am excited to see the other side of the conflict so that, so that everyone can get to the work of flourishing. If God has blessed you, I want you to flourish wherever you are, whether you, whether you, whether you stay in the UMC, leave and become independent, leave and join a different denomination, leave and become part of the global Methodist movement. I want to see you flourish in ministry. That's what matters. And so the quicker we can get to that work, the better we'll all be. My long-term ex- excitement, because I'm I'm a fan of the Global Methodist Church. I'm a, I, and 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 it's 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 called the Global Methodist Church, but it's very much a movement. It's now it's it's not you know it's it's still in movement phase. Sure. Mm-hmm. And what excites me is the idea of being truly global, because these issues over which we battle right now that seem like a 50-50 proposition in the United States. These are not 50-50 propositions in the, in the global uh, Christian climate. 95% of Christians in the world have an orthodox take on the faith. 95%. So when, when we are stepping out of a progressive mindset and staking our claim in orthodoxy, we're staking our claim not just historically, but globally. And so what excites me about the global movement is that we're actually stepping back into the river. And, um, and I get excited about, you know, seeing Methodism, fanning the flames of Methodism in the United States so that we can actually um, have a voice in the, in the national conversation, spirit, spiritually speaking. I, th- I think the, the Calvinists have done a great job of, of um of, of lifting up that, that reformed voice. The Methodist voice is starving to be lifted up nationally. But far more than that, I get excited about tapping Methodists around the world and saying, look, okay, we're all together now. <laughs> we're, all in, we're all on the same page now. Let's, let's gather globally and really hmm. do a new thing. Yeah. Carolyn, I was with a, uh, a friend who pastors a uh, a very, very large church, but he didn't come mm-hmm. through the Methodist system. Mm-hmm. And we were all, there were, I don't know, five or six of us that were all sharing and, and we were all talking and, and he's just kind of looking at in bewilderment. Didn't, didn't say much. We kind of went for an hour or so. And he looked at us and he goes, do you guys realize you all have PTSD? Yeah. He said, you guys are just messed up. You're just damaged. Yeah. And uh, do you see, I'm not just talking about uh, mainline pastors. Do you do you see a certain amount of PTSD in pastors these days? And 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 if so, what? How, how do we move beyond that? That is such a great question and such a relevant question because we have PTSD on top of PTSD. That's I correct. Don't even, I don't even know that. I don't know if we have. Uh, 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 the P in PTSD yet, right? In the second yeah. wave, you know, it's just, it's just TSD is we've mm. just got traumatic stress. If you're mm. a pastor now, the world is full of people who have suffered mightily through COVID. You know, if you're a doctor or nurse or uh, sure. front lines in medical, in the medical world, or if you're a small business owner who mm. has somehow struggled to make it through, I'm not trying to say we've got it worse than everybody. But I'm telling you, pastors also 
had it tough, have had it, do have it tough. And the world is just coming out from under that, you know, straight into a recession or a potential recession. So um, we have TSD on that front. But ministry itself, it's, it's really interesting that you should ask me that question specifically, because I've just recently come to realize that um, really beyond my own childhood traumas and the things that caused me to drink too much when I was in my teens and 20s, um, ministry has been a traumatic experience, not necessarily a bad thing. Well, I can say, no, it's the best thing that's ever happened to me to serve Jesus. It's the best thing in the world, but it doesn't mean it hasn't been hard. I mean, I would say that Paul probably thought ministry was the best thing that happened to him and that following Jesus was the best thing that could possibly have happened to him, but getting beat up all the time probably wasn't among Paul's greatest, you know, (laughs) I want my best day, Jesus. Mm -hmm. Okay. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Getting beat up is probably not my favorite thing to have happen and on in your name. And, um, and, and so what do I think pastors need? I think every pastor needs a good therapist. And mm. I am well aware that therapy is a luxury. Mm. Um, that, kind of, that kind of treatment for us is a luxury. And not every pastor has the insurance or the, or the, or the means to cover it. If you can't get in a therapy group or, a, or I mean, if you can't get into a therapist right now, you need to get into a 12-step group. Uh, go to Al-Anon or find find some place where you can, in a group setting, uh, begin to work through your own character defects, begin to work through your own pain, find the places where things were done to you, where you did things that aren't your best, um, and, and begin to work through the hard, hard, hard work of being a pastor. It is its own trauma and it deserves your attention. Otherwise, you just you just you'll, you'll find yourself at, at at my age, which is almost 60 now, burned out and, you know, just trying to get to Social Security. And that the, the gospel of Jesus Christ deserves better. It deserves more than that. And, and, and in fact, the gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't actually specifically give us room to retire. I know we do, but, but how much better would it be to say, no, actually I'm catching my second wind in the season that we actually are supposed to be our smartest, you know, sixties and seventies. That's when Mm. we're supposed to have the most to offer the world. So why would you offer the world when you're supposed to have the most to offer the best wisdom, the most experience? Why would you give it to the world? on a plate of burnout. Yeah. And so. you know, Carolyn, I just turned 60 in April and I could just mm-hmm. say for myself, I'm almost brilliant now. I mean, 59, <laughs> eh, you know, kind of so-so, yeah. but boy, since I've been 60, woo, it yeah. is Firing on all cylinders. Oh, my. <laughs> yes, you are. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. It's nothing. There's nothing better, is there, than being no. able to say to a young person, It'll be all right. It'll, It'll be, be all right. right. It'll yeah. be all right. And you want to be able to do that. It'll be all right. Jesus is still on the throne. Not right. run. Get right. away from it as quick as you can. <laughs> yeah. Let me no. tell you all the reasons they're evil. Nobody needs one more. We've met our quota of burned yes. out angry pastors. The world yeah. needs folks who are willing to do this, the healing work so you can give it another 20 or 30 years. I remember. And I can tell you for myself. I got 30 years left. I like it. I like it. These are my best 30 right here. 
I'm halfway I, I re- done. I remember the very day that uh, I stopped believing in the win-win scenario. And, <laughs> and believe it or not, that day set me free. Huh. We, we were getting ready to open during the pandemic year, reopen the church. Yeah. No one else around here was open. We yeah. felt God leading us to open. And so it's in early July. And I'm thinking to myself, the day before we open, if we open too soon, half the country is going to criticize us. If uh-huh. we open too late, the other half of the country is going to criticize yeah. us. And if this is the perfect day to open, ordained in the heart of God since the beginning of creation, everyone is going to That's criticize exactly us. Right. That is exactly right. And because there are no wins, you suddenly feel free to do what the Holy Spirit prompts you to do. There's no wins out there. We are free to truly Mm -hmm. try to follow God. And I've just found that to be an incredible epiphany. Yes, yes, that's it. You can't please everybody. There's this scene in uh, School of Rock, you know, that movie? Right, right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) When when she's just had this rolling set of problems with the guy who's a pretend school teacher. and, And finally, you know, all those all those rich parents of this private school kids have, are in her office and they're yelling at her and somebody comes in and tells her all the kids have disappeared. And she just turns <laughs> around to him. She's given every excuse she's got. She just yeah. turns around and says, well, your kids are gone and I've got <laughs> nothing I can do about that. And that, that scene has stayed in my mind through most of COVID. You know what? Mask or no mask, I got nothing I can do about that. Exactly right. People or no people, you don't like my my techno technology. Find somebody else. Listen, the world is <laughs> full of churches. I can't do anything about it. And there's some freeing in that, isn't there? Tons of freedom. Yeah. I always talk to pastors, and and they always feel that they personally are so essential to the kingdom of God, and I always tell them my mint in the drawer story. Inside my office, which is about 10 feet from here, inside my office, I have a whole drawer that's full of winter green mints. Mm-hmm. You know, those mints you open and you yeah. pop the little lifesaver mints and yeah. the whole drawer's full. And I tell myself all the time, if I would die right now, they would cart me out and two things would happen. First of all, I wouldn't even be cold yet before people would be wondering who the new pastor is going to be. <laughs> and then somebody would clean out my office, but they would leave all the mints. And whoever took my job would open that second drawer and go, hey, mints. And he would take one of my mints, or she would take one of my mints, and she or he would eat my mint. And for some reason, that gives me great comfort. uh, God's got everything in control. Things are just going to be all right. That's exactly right. There it is. I, I want to get everything right. But even if I don't, God's still in control. That's right. That's right. I think freedom. So I think every, every pastor needs to do some codependent work because every one of us thinks we're indispensable. And Jesus, Jesus was Lord before I came along and Jesus will be Lord long after I'm gone. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. I always joke about that after long after I retire and everybody's forgotten about me and only memory they'll have of me is the statue that I have erected out back after I do <laughs> retire and, and that'll be it. And there'll be a pigeon that stands on my shoulder and, and the pigeon will do his thing. And, and somehow the cosmos makes sense at that point. The reality is all we're doing, we run our leg of this relay race. We run it as faithfully as we can. We hand it off and trust God 
yeah. that the that salvation history moves on. And I guess being 60 now, I just don't feel the pressure that I used <laughs> to feel. And it's incredibly freeing. Yeah. 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 Let, let, I, I, I feel some urgency and I know you do too, Shane, but I also feel a much stronger sense of letting adults act like letting adults make adult decisions. Agreed. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Agreed. Hey, you have a new book that uh, is coming out. I, I've got a lot of feedback from that. Uh, one of our pastors, uh, Carmen Wibbles, attended your session at, at New okay. Room. Uh-huh. One of the things that's interesting to me about when women lead is, you know, as a conservative, as a conservative theologian, a lot of people always think that conservative theologians are always looking to Paul. But in reality, a lot of us really look at creation before the fall. Mm-hmm. We, we say, mm-hmm. how did relationships work before the fall? What exactly. did a sinless world look like before the fall? And in your book, you really start there with yep. saying, let's take a look at how God ordered this thing before the fall. So tell yeah. us a little bit about when women lead and, and what prompted you to write. Um. Well, what prompted what prompted me to write the book was it was the book I was looking for and couldn't find. Ah, um, so it wasn't like I went looking to write a book so much as I wanted to know the answer to my question. What is it? You know, I, as I said, I planted a church at a time when it was big box rapid growth was the model, and um, and and my friends in ministry, um, friends that we both love dearly, like Brian Collier and. Uh, other folks who planted, you know, it's like, I couldn't, I could listen to them. I could take their advice. I could do the same things they were doing. I'm not the brightest bulb in the leadership box, but I'm not that much dumber than Brian Collier. And so <laughs> I like it. I like it. I hope so you're listening, just, Brian. I know. So it, it would seem to me like I could do, I, I could do what he did, but it didn't have the same results sure. or anybody else. It just couldn't seem to get the same results. And so, so I, this question just, began to burn in me. What is the difference between how men lead and how women lead? How do women lead? What is, what are the barriers we face? Even the, the barriers that maybe we don't want to admit and how do we lead past them so we can be successful at the ministry God has given us. So not really so much a, a defense of women in leadership as it is a, a call to women who lead mm-hmm. and to those who support women in leadership to understand there are differences between how women lead and how men lead. Differences in how that is received by a fallen world. And because of that, there are strategies women need to understand and learn, or you're going to burn out, or you're going to end up not really fulfilling the potential God gave you. And so, um, and and it does start, it starts in Genesis. Um, Men and women were created for partnership. Uh, The only hierarchy I find in Genesis is the hierarchy of, of God over people and people over animals but it's not male over female, but Genesis three turned a hierarchy into a, uh, excuse me, a a partnership into a hierarchy. And um, Genesis three is the fall of course. And we all, all of us, every single human being in the world lives on this side of Genesis three, every single human being in the world, whether Christian or not Christian, doesn't matter if you have my worldview or not, you still live on this side of the fall. Mm-hmm. which means that you have a fallen mentality when it comes to, 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 to men and women. You're constantly trying to take that partnership, whether consciously or unconsciously. You are, you are constantly taking that partnership and trying to turn it into a hierarchy in your head. And in other cultures, 
uh, especially non-Christian cultures, they have it worse than I do, far worse than I do. Women in Saudi Arabia just got the ability to drive a few years ago. I mean, professional women in Saudi Arabia were not given permission to drive. Uh, women in, in, uh, in, in, in India um, have a whole different set of circumstances than I have. Um, children, they, girls in China don't even have the right to be born or, or didn't for the longest time until a tremendous gender disparity happened in China and they started allowing two children to be born so you could keep your girl. Um, but th th so, so it's, it's woven into the fabric of the world. So if that's the case, if we perceive female leadership differently and maybe in some way flawed, then what does that mean for women who actually lead, who are called by God to lead? What does that mean for us? How do we have to, how do we absorb that knowledge? How do we live out of that knowledge? And how do we uh, strategically think beyond that so that we can be effective? So Carolyn, the thesis that I got from the book is that men and women are to lead in partnership. What does a exactly. healthy partnership look like between men and women in leadership? Well, uh, let's just start with the pastor who um, who sees women and you, Shane, are supposed to shepherd the whole church. And that means that you're there to shepherd both men and women in your care. And when women, obviously, when, when women present as having the call and the gift and the obvious anointing for leadership, it's your job to mentor them into leadership. Don't pawn them off to the retired librarian. I love librarians, but the retired librarian does not have the same leadership style as a pastor. That, that female deserves um, sterling quality uh, uh, leadership mentoring so that she can become everything God's called her to be. So your job as a pastor is to, uh, to be mature in your uh, relationship with her so that you can mentor her into, into pastoral leadership. And there's a ton that goes into that. I recognize all that, but I think we have we have let the pendulum swing so far that we're afraid to even be in a room with each other. When we're all adults, we're, we're uh, in, the, in the secular world, this is done all the time. Sure. <laughs> Men and women are in partnership with each other. They're in boardrooms together. They share space together and they do it in healthy ways all the time. We hear the horror stories but men and women lead together all the time in the secular world. We in the church need to take a hint and start leading together in the sacred world as well. Um, so that's for a pastor. Um, but uh, when you see women who are called and gifted for leadership, call it out of them. Um, but I think for women as well, it's uh, the, the, the onus is on me also to, to find the mentors and the door openers who can, uh, who can help me in my own ministry. And so that's how, you know, I make fun of our, our friend, Brian Collier, but Brian Collier and I have been friends for years because I was, and, and George Acevedo as well, calling him, calling them all the time, asking them, George Acevedo taught me, his church taught me recovery. His church also taught me a lot about missional community. Um, Brian Collier has taught me a lot about staff, leadership, finances, lots of things I've, I've called him about over the years. And, um, and they've been so gracious with their time and attention, and I'm grateful for that. Brian actually uh, created a group of, of pastors um, just to support each other through a season, and I was invited into that group, and it was me and 12 guys, and I was, I, I was so honored to be part of that group, just considered as a leader, not, 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 not excluded because of my gender, but included because I was a, a leader in the Church of Jesus Christ. Um, so we've got to go asking for the folks who, whose ministry we, um, we want to emulate. Teach me. 
teach me, help me, mentor me. And, and when you can open a door for me, open a door for me. There are times when um, men have access to, 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 um, to resources that I may not have access to. And I need you to open the door for me so that I can, once I'm in the door, once I'm in the room, it's my job to, you know, sell myself or sell my ministry or whatever it is I'm trying to, to influence. But, but until I get there, uh, it takes all of us together. Carolyn, sounds like you're saying that uh, men, pastors need to make sure that we are uplifting women, giving them those responsibilities, not pushing them to the side. Um, right. if, they, if we see the call of God on their lives, make sure that we are nurturing that just like we would anyone else. Carolyn, I'm wondering yeah. if there was a woman listening right now who maybe uh, feels some type of call to leadership, whether or not it, be past, it could be pastoral ministry, but some type of leadership in the church or Mm-hmm. Maybe that's their Christian identity at, at work. And, and for whatever reason, they had trepidation towards doing that. What would mm-hmm. you say to a woman who just isn't quite sure if they can or if they should, but God is calling them to lead? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the, your first stop should be at your pastor's office. Um, find somebody who can, who can help you think through this theologically. And, um, and if for some reason your pastor is complementarian and doesn't have the same uh, understanding of how of women's place in leadership and in ministry leadership, then um, then I would say to you, you may need to rethink where you're getting your spiritual care and feeding because if God has called you, then God uh, God will equip you and God will the call doesn't go away. Um, I remember <laughs> early on after I after I'd had those those hard years away from Jesus, I, I remember seeing a woman pastor. It was the first time I'd ever met one, and I was just kind of mesmerized by her, and I. Found because kind of blabbed out to her. Yeah, you know, I thought I was called once, but I was wrong. And she just looked at me and said, "Well, I don't know if you were called or not, but I can tell you this: God never revokes the call." <laughs> and that was that was the pebble in the shoe for me that would not let me rest until yeah. I until I came into this calling. Um, the second thing I would do, and it's not not to promote my own stuff, but um, but when women lead, the book um, yes. is is there to really kind of give a, a solid, very practical foundation for the barriers that you'll face and the strategies that you'll need in order to lead past those. And, um, and I spend time on the barriers because the, there's a statistic, both, both in the church planting world and in the small business world that says, you are more likely to succeed, like, like exponentially more likely to, see, to succeed if you understand are wide-eyed about the, the challenges you will face mm-hmm. by saying, oh, if Jesus called me, that's all I need. Everything will be fine. You know, I, I'm not going to have issues. You're, you're almost like shooting yourself in the foot. It, to to yeah. be naive is, it, we're, we're told in the scripture, right? To be wise mm-hmm. as serpents, gentle as doves. The wise as serpents part, we sometimes skip over too quickly. Um, so, um, I spend time on the barriers to help women understand if you're, if you're coming into ministry, come in knowing what you're up against, not to scare you out of it, but so you can, so you can be totally prepared. So you can equip yourself so you can understand what your, your gaps are and get the training you need, um, so that you can succeed. I want to see everybody, everybody who was gifted for ministry on the, on the um, ground doing ministry, because the sooner everybody is doing what God has called them to do, the sooner we can go home. <laughs> I 
Carolyn, thank you so much for hanging out uh, with us and sharing yeah. your heart with us. If people want to get a hold of your book, When Women Lead, if there's, mm-hmm. I, I know there's a longer title, but that's what people will remember. Seedbed uh, is your publisher. Yeah. What would be the best way for people to get a hold of your book? Yeah, you do need to, when you, when you, uh, you can find it on Amazon, any place you buy books, any place you buy books, you can find it, but make sure it's When Women Lead by Carolyn Moore, because another book called When Women Lead by Julia Borston also just came out this month. (laughs) And so, (laughs) so make sure you um, uh, look up my, my, the author's name, as well as the title, When Women Lead by Carolyn Moore, and uh, you can get it whenever you want, wherever you want. I always recommend Seedbed. They're a great publisher, but it's out by Zondervan. Carolyn, I know that Shane and I and our audience would love to pray uh, for you, pray with you. Mm. How can we pray for you, for Mosaic right now? I'm so grateful for that. I'm so grateful for that. I, uh, in, at Mosaic right now, we're talking a lot about wisdom, biblical wisdom, and I'm really become hungry for that. Mm. So I, I think, I think that, uh, We've been in survival mode for so long and our ways of thinking are deeply impacted by survival mode. Uh, You know, survival mode takes you out Mm -hmm. of the frontal cortex and back into the place where you're just trying to figure out how to get out of this. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. um, um, the the frontal cortex is where all the mature thinking goes. Mm -hmm. They often call this the God center, the front of your brain. I want, I want more of my thinking to be in the front of my brain and less of it to be in survival mm-hmm. mode. So mm-hmm. if you want to pray for me, pray that God will give me the mind of Christ. That's mm-hmm. what I'm after. Amen. Can mm-hmm. I pray right now? Absolutely. God, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for your child, your daughter, Carolyn. Mm-hmm. We thank you for the mighty work that you've done through her. We mm-hmm. thank you, God, for as she shared her story with us, Lord, and how um, even though maybe culture, institutions, a hermeneutic Lord Mm. was trying to prevent um, from what you were calling her to do. We thank you that your call was not revoked. We -hmm. thank you, God, that she chose to follow you. God, you gave Mm -hmm. her the strength and grace and mercy to uh, say yes, even in the difficult times. And we thank you for the great fruit that we're hearing about that during this uh, podcast interview. But now, God, um, her heart really thirst for you, for this wisdom, God. And she speaks of the scarcity mindset that happens whenever we go through difficult times. And so we pray, God, that you would just have your hand upon your child, God, that you would pour into her all the wisdom, all the understanding uh, that you're trying to pour into her. We pray for God, um, your hand upon her healing. Mm -hmm. And we do pray, God, that you bless her, her family Mm -hmm. and Mosaic Mm -hmm. like never Mm -hmm. before. Jesus, may more people come to know you. Jesus, may more people be discipled. Jesus, may more people be healed than ever before. God, may your kingdom go forward in a way that is remarkable. We love you. We pray through Jesus' strong name. Amen. 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 Carolyn, it's wonderful to get to spend some time with you. I pray Such God's blessings upon you. I've long felt uh, this is sort of a, for such a time as this moment for you and your mm-hmm. ministry. Thank you for the leadership that you offer to so many in these uh, jagged times. Yeah, uh, You've been a clear, consistent, spirit-filled 
grounded presence to many. And I'm deeply appreciative of you and your ministry. That is a deep grace and a humbling thought. And I'm grateful, Shane. And I just pray God's blessing over you guys where you are doing what you do. Thank you for all of it. We want to thank Carolyn Moore for joining us today. Hey, make sure you check out her book. It's called When Women Lead by Carolyn Moore. And you can find that anywhere books are sold. Well, thank you for joining us for Navigating Change with Shane and Mike. And remember, like always, keep the change.